everyone and welcome to the Raptor Queens podcast, the first ever all-women podcast covering the Toronto Raptors. My name is Sarah Cowell and I'm here with my other queen of the north, Allison Hope. Hi, Allison. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everybody. I've got to say, this is a super auspicious night to be recording a podcast. It's been, oh, fantastic 24 hours. Um, weather notwithstanding here, it's not so cool in Southwestern Ontario, but kind of none of that matters right now after what happened last night. So let's roll. Right. And just in case anyone is unclear what happened last night, <laughs> which I don't think is going to be the case here, but it is round one of the playoffs. And after going down zero three to start the series against Philadelphia, the Raptors won games four and last night game five to force a game six tomorrow at home in Toronto. So games one and two, the Sixers dominated the Raptors physically, and you might argue mentally as well, with at least a little bit of help from the referees, but uh, no help at all from the injury bug. Scotty Barnes went down with an ankle sprain, Tad Young sprained his thumb, Gary Trent Jr. was clearly playing sick, and never mind that Fred Van Vliet has been playing on an injured knee since before the All-Star break. But then in game three, we start to see things turn around. The Raptors lead for nearly an entire game. Pascal has a near silent second half though. And the 76ers force overtime and Joel Embiid hits a last second game winning shot at the buzzer to take the win and the series lead at three zero. Joel Embiid, obviously very happy with himself in that moment. I suppose I would be too, if I was in his shoes, but he was not so happy in game four. So game four, Scotty Barnes, Pre-tip gets awarded the Rookie of the Year by Masai Ujiri. Very, very good vibes all around. And Scotty returns to action. Huge boost for the Raptors. Gary Trent is healthy. Spicy P is on fire with a game-leading 34 points to take the Raptors' first win of the series. Fred Van Vliet leaves the game with a hip injury and he doesn't come back. And then yesterday in Game 5, Fred Van Vliet still out. The rest of the roster healthy and available. And the Raptors take the win and hold the 76ers to a series low 88 points. So it's a series and the series is not over. Allison, give me all of your opinions. So we're seeing a trend here with regard to the defense, but just to go back to Scotty for a minute, and he's clearly set this as, as an individual goal for the season. And I I don't know, did you have a chance to see the open gym episode? I did. It was, you have to tell her. I will. (laughs) So it was so sweet. I just saw a very truncated version and uh, Nick nurse had the team gather around for what he said was a video. So Scotty's kind of standing there innocently and uh, on the video screen comes Vince Carter saying, Hey Scotty, I don't know if you knew, but only three Toronto Raptors have ever been rookies of the year, myself, Damon Stoudemire, and now you. And then Vince continued talking, but you essentially couldn't hear a word he said because the players like were yelling and gathered around Scotty and, you know, just hugging him, of course, because Scotty loves hugs. And it was just, it was like a mob scene and it was the coolest thing. And then the camera kind of pans out and the, the players step back and Scotty's crying. So, I mean, if that doesn't, if that's not just a tear jerking moment, I don't know what is, but it kind of shows you what it meant to him. And uh, it was just a really nice moment. So um, that, that was fun to see. And then things just got better from there. So I'm just going to jump into what I saw. 
Hold on, just um, quickly. I just need, I need yeah. to jump in on that. Like, if if Scotty Barnes, if that watching that video doesn't just endear you to him as a human being, then your heart has failed you. I don't even yes. know what that would mean. Deficient um, human being. Exactly. I mean, what a incredibly um, just the kind of person that you want to have good things happen to. And I'm so happy for him that this was a goal that he set his mind mind to. His team helped him get there. He worked for it. And I feel like it was really a collective win and at the same time, an individual achievement for him. And the team is genuinely so happy for him. And it was just, it was really beautiful to watch that. It, it was, it was, it was a totally tear jerking moment, like for the, for the viewers too. Exactly. And so of course, then we see him get awarded rookie of the year pre-tip and that was just all very special. Okay. We'll now jump into whatever you're going to say about games. So uh, game four, th- that was really, um, uh, th- they played a complete game. And I think for game three, the Raptors being ahead by what was it? 17 points early in the second. And you just kind of had a feeling of inevitable, of inevitability there like Philly kind of chipped away at that lead in a very methodical manner um in that game they actually held Harden to five of 17 from the floor and his stat line looked not too bad 22 points uh five rebounds and nine assists it kind of looks respectable but when you look a little bit closer 10 of those points came at the free throw line uh he was only two for eight uh so that was 11 points from the field and they really threw a variety of defenders at him with their switchy defense. And I kind of still cringe when I see him switched on to Thad Young, but it's been working. Um, as much as James Harden has lost a step, that's still a, a difficult cover for Thad Young. Um, I thought that the Raptors, again, did excellent work in that fourth game on Joel Embiid. Um, they were uh, um, like immediate doubles. Uh, they didn't do it consistently when they did it. It was very effective in disrupting the offense. And they really forced him to make passes that turned into turnovers. And there were five of them. And I think two of them were live ball turnovers. And we got runouts out of those and uncontested dunks. So things like that kind of switched the momentum. Um, the, the scouting report, and I kind of, you know, I didn't watch that much of Philly, just the games we played against them, that he's not a good passer to the doubles. And that was really on full display in this game. And it kind of shows you that's one thing that uh, Nikola Jokic can do that at an elite level that Joel Embiid can't do. Um, Harden did have the nine assists, like I said, but it was really his failure to set up Tyrese Maxey that was kind of shocking. Uh, Maxi finished 11, six and six in 40 minutes. Um, it, in, in those six assists, it really showed that the Raptors put immense pressure on him to pass. And really that's a success. Cause you don't want, you want Tyrese Maxi passing. You don't want him shooting um, like his values in scoring and not playmaking. So I, he's really an elite player probing into the paint with floaters and attacking the rim. So if you can make him pass, that's great. Um, so holding him to 11 points, that's kind of, I don't know, it's probably a bit of an overstatement to say, but an indictment of James Harden's, James Harden's leadership, um, and evidence of very good man coverage by the Raptors. Um, Pascal was very good. Um, but what was intriguing to me was that lineup early in the fourth, um, Thad 
a Chris, Pascal, OG, and Precious. And they held and extended the lead. And Pascal was the primary ball handler. And I came away from that thinking, this is a very egalitarian looking offense. So I actually sat down and went through um, the play-by-play like of each quarter in the plays. And I looked at um, the first the first half and Fred played in the first half and uh, seven of the makes were assisted, 12 of um, the makes were unassisted. So basically ISO in the second half, 12 of the makes were assisted and only five unassisted. So there was a lot more sharing of the ball. And this is in no way a slam on Fred. Clearly, we're a better team with him playing, but, and he's injured. So maybe, you know, and that's a very small sample size, but the way they were moving the ball, it kind of makes you wonder if there's a way to work him in where he's not the primary ball handler and more off ball. I don't know, but that makes a total of 36% of the makes assisted in the first half and 70% of them were assisted in the second. So that's, I mean, that's quite impressive. And very interesting. Did you happen to um, do a similar analysis for game five or? I I did not. I did not. not. Real life interrupted. Right. And, And again, I mean, correlation, what's that expression? Correlation isn't causation. And he's Fred is vastly improved as a playmaker and it's really unfair in a way because he's been injured, but uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting look and and it worked. Um, The other thing, the impact of playing big and having Thad Young in the lineup and just his playmaking um, that was a super astute trade. And I've got to say, like, I remember, and, and interestingly, I, I think he was, he played, uh, was drafted or played by Philly. Uh, I think he was acquired by them and played most of his early career in Philly. Um, but just his ability to impact, um, like, there were a couple plays I'll highlight later. Like he, he's, he has been a good pickup for them. So that's kind of what I saw. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so on, you know, Tyrese Maxey, one of the things that I've noticed the last couple of games is really actually that he has been um, neutralized in the first couple of games. He was just absolutely killing the Raptors on offense and his speed driving downhill, setting up the kick, get, just getting into the lane, the whole thing. He was very, very effective offensively in the first two games. Um, I do think that... Uh, the longer lineup and the switching that's available to the Raptors with the longer lineup has really uh, cut off some of his normal advantages. So, you know, first he's got precious on him. Then he has to switch onto OG and they're, they're long, they're fast, they're effective defenders. And, you know, he's just not getting the step. And I do think that this is maybe one of the silver linings of, Fred's injury because he's been injured and slower um, that he can't take uh, Maxi can't take advantage of that um, yeah it's it's been really interesting like I have really nothing but good things to say about Fred and his injuries since the all-star break have clearly clearly affected his speed clearly affected his um his shooting 
all of this. And he knows that too, I'm sure, you know, he's been frustrated with his own level of play. Um, and so part of me just wonders if right now anyway, it's, you know, he's more impactful in his leadership role on the bench in a positive way. I think he was a team low minus 21 for time on the floor for the first two and a half games, which is a huge deficit and not at all reflective of his normal impact, but this is just, you know, maybe, maybe this really is the team and the time um, just given the certain circumstances to go long and just lean right into this. And just to go back to Tyrese Maxey for a minute, he's six, two. So when he's steering down guys, six, nine with seven, two wingspans, that's uh, clearly going to be intimidating. Now he has a very quick first step, but Hey, so does precious Achua. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's, let's actually dive right into precious. I was going to talk about Gary, but you gave me a good, a good segue into precious. So, uh, you know, wow. Just, just wow. Uh, all of what I've ever said before about precious, I am taking it back or maybe I'm just evolving my opinion. That might be another way of saying it. He is absolutely blowing me away. I think I was watching Samson folk and he was saying, you know, every, everyone's a precious fan now. Some of us started late and some of us started, some of us started being his fan early, but we have all arrived. This is not what he said. This is what I'm saying. We have all arrived at the precious at choo-choo train station like we're here now (laughs) we are getting on the train and it's gonna be a fun ride so Allison you tell me what you've seen from Precious this series so I will say that I was kind of singing his praises right from the beginning and fortunately having a podcast I do have receipts for that um clearly Masai Masai's comments when when the trade was made and I'm sure you remember it was quite uh, quite telling when um, they there was a, a clip of Masai and Precious and Masai's comment was finally you're mine. So obviously that was sort of the, the linchpin of the trade, right? I mean, we gave them a veteran and we got back a prospect and what a great prospect. There was very limited play. I think he was averaging 11 minutes um, in Miami. And he very much played behind Bam Adebayo. So you kind of, I guess I was kind of thinking he was in that mold, but I would argue that he's quicker than Adebayo. Um, His on-ball defense, and uh, I've got to say, the last probably uh, half of the season, uh, maybe third of the season, his defense has been vastly improved, but his understanding, I think, of the, the the team expectations now, he's been so much better in the playoffs. And I mean, he's still going to make mistakes. I think he had, uh, was it a turnover, uh, maybe off his foot or no, something? He, he like tipped the ball into Philly's basket. No, th- I, that too, but that there was another too. one. Don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, and who, was, uh, who was on our podcast? Oh, it was Samson. And he said, you know, he's like the genius that said, the guy that says I'm a genius. And then the next comment is, oh no. <laughs> So, I mean, he's still going to make mistakes, but, you know, I think what I like about him most is, and he showed this last night, he is fearless. He went at Joel Embiid, like, and, and 
got around him. Like he, that guy has no fear. He's not afraid of making mistakes. He's not afraid of being aggressive. He's not afraid of learning. He's not afraid of driving. He's kind of the prototypical Raptor. So his future is super bright. Um, he's, he's going to be an elite defender. And I, I'm, you probably remember me saying not Draymond Green, but in that vein, like an elite defender. So his ascension has been a really, really nice thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one of the things that is interesting is to watch him go at Joel Embiid and to actually see the difference in speed between the two of them. I think this is a uh, matchup or an advantage that's, that's, that's worth taking advantage. We, so we can see, especially in game five, that the, the defensive play that the Raptors were putting on Embiid was very tiring for him. And there were moments in game five where he just looked so tired. And I believe there were six straight plays where the Raptors just took Embiid from the perimeter and drove against him. So OG Precious did it twice. Uh, Siakam did that. Uh, and then someone else as well. I can't remember who it was. Um, but both plays, what I find very interesting about Precious Achua is his ability to really um, be so far away from the basket and drive to the basket, but not at one speed, right? So he's changing speed and changing direction and his ability to do that. And so he can get past his perimeter defenders um, with, with a lot of versatility. And that's very interesting. You know, I wonder when you comment about Joel Embiid being tired, I almost think he looked demoralized. And I don't know, I was thinking about this on my way to work today. It's almost like these two teams are mirror images of each other, but but op, like opposite because there's Philly with this in this elite center and pretty much role players around him. I mean, I granted they didn't look like role players in game one and game two, but I think the reality is somewhere down the middle, like maybe game four, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I just wonder, and then here are the Raptors. We have like a lineup of elite one through four, but we don't have a center. It's almost you know, we're kind of opposites in a way. And it's, you know, who's going to win this battle? Like, uh, it's going to be fascinating. And I'm just, you know me, I'm a pessimist. Listen, I can totally live with losing the series. I sure hope we don't, but man, it's been so inspiring. Like I'm so excited by what I've seen in the last 24 hours. This is, I mean, this is the future. The future is now great at the futures next year. Hey, like I'm happy with it. I know what you mean. I like for me, the, the number one reason why I want the Raptors to win is mostly because I want to just keep watching them. Um, and, you know, I'm not looking forward to a long off season of not being able to watch Raptors basketball. <laughs> so I'm tuning in every game, mostly because I'm thinking oh, this could be the last game I watch and I want to be here for it. Um, and that was actually my thinking going into game four specifically, like, well, if this is the last game, I have to watch it, right? Um, and when I was watching it pretty early on in the first quarter, I just had a moment where I saw a few different things happen. One thing is obviously Scotty winning rookie of the year. There were seriously good vibes on that team. Second thing that I saw was Pascal Siakam absolutely 
responding to a near silent second half in game three. Um, I really thought of, I think, I think that I could probably pinpoint what happened with Pascal as the reason why I think that the series may have turned. Hey, I'm curious. Yeah, because the end of game three, there was a moment when he looked so afraid to shoot the ball. A few moments, actually. And it was so reminiscent of the Boston series in, uh, in the bubble. And I was like, oh, I, I wonder, am I having a flashback? Or is Pascal Siakam having a flashback right now? Like, it was just this, like, suddenly being transported out of everything that he's done this season back to the bubble moment. And I was like, oh, no, this, this really isn't that great. And then I had... And then in the beginning of the first, the beginning of game four, that was no, that was not there at all. It was like a complete, okay, yes, that happened. It was, may have been a flashback, maybe not, but it was no longer there. And he was like back in the present moment and playing at the elite level that he's been playing at this season. And I was like, okay, this is it. He's broken through. Like we've, we've got this. He's, he is officially elite player and that's all in the past. Now we don't have to worry about this. And, um, from there, <laughs> from there, I watched the way that the team responded to him. And it really struck me that this was a team that was two things. First, they really like each other. They really genuinely like each other. And second, they play for each other. And they were going to come to this game for, and they were going to play for one another. And they were going to hold up Siakam. They were going to hold up Scotty and hold up Chris and hold up Fred. And everyone was there to hold each other up. And I just got this feeling. I was like, I'm so proud of them. I'm going to cry. <laughs> and then that's when I messaged you, Allison, to say, I think this might be a turning point for the series. Um, and I don't know if they will win. Like, there's still so much game left to play. But it was the first time it felt that they could win the series, that they had actually transformed as a team from game three overnight into game four that it wasn't the same team playing anymore so that is really cool and it could be that the future again is next year as you've said or actually could be right now they can win this series and let's see what happens so i just have to tell our listeners so remember we were having our group chat sarah and when we when we first formed this this podcast i remember sarah talking about the championship run and how she knew they were going to win and i'll tell you i'm a died in the wool skeptic and now that i know sarah before I would have just rolled my eyes at that but i think there's a lot of validity in your observations and i think you see nuance that like, frankly, a lot of us probably don't see, like, I have a good feel for the game, but I don't see a lot of the things you see. So, you know, three years ago, I would have rolled my eyes. I'm not rolling my eyes now. I, I think you have cred. <laughs> so there, I said it. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't know what is actually going to happen in this series. Like, will we see the fruits of this transformation in this series or will we see it next year? I don't know, but like, it's already fundamentally shifted for the players on this team they are all better players starting in game four than they were in game three significantly they understand the game differently they understand playoff basketball differently and we've got a new team it's very and, cool exactly and when you think of the, the beginning of the year last year that first game uh, first or second game we played against boston just terrible the offense was mired just, it was, uh, I will say it was painful to watch. And I remember a game against Washington, just 
awful. And I remember thinking, you know, what we need to see this year is month over month improvement. And that's exactly what we saw. And that's, that's realistically what we can hope for. I mean, this is a bunch of 22 year olds, like what we're seeing, this is, this is impressive. Like I'm, you know, I, like I said to you, it was a terrible day at work today, but I was kind of on cloud nine today. This, this, you know, last night's win made, it's probably not normal to feel this great after a win that a Raptors win could do this much for my outlook, but Hey, it did. So I, well, I mean, I saw something on Twitter the other day, like Raptors fans need therapy. I think that might be really true. Like, you know, like their moods can be so impacted by the win or the loss. Someone else was writing, they did this like intense Reddit post of, um, here's all the reasons why the Raptors are going to win this series. And it was like a, Oh God, I saw that. Like an eight paragraph numerology. Like they wasn't that painstaking. Like that was yeah and I think that was the tweet where somebody was like Raptors fans need therapy I was like yeah <laughs> that could be true <laughs> that, no that was you know I saw that and I was like I marveled at that who took the time that was incredible yeah I, I should go back and see if I can find it yeah oh, it was really funny um anyway uh okay so uh I'd like to just take a quick peek over at the coaching matchup as well doc versus well I don't have anything at all profound to say but all I can think is Doc Rivers has got to be feeling quite unsettled right now this has got to be the worst feeling of pre-deja vu pre-deja vu like <laughs> Yeah, I would. Do, you you obviously noticed something specific. What are what are you seeing? Well, I mean, I don't actually know what happens behind the scenes with the X's and the O's and the watching the film and whatnot. I really only get insight into coaching from the point of view of what they say in the post game and then what you can witness happening on the court and the way you watch your team grow or not grow, etc. And um, you know, so you know, when I hear Doc Rivers talk post game. I think after game five, his first response was something along the lines of, okay, we'll go watch the film and we'll go make adjustments and whatnot. And I'm sure that's the correct thing to do. But sometimes when it just, again, I I sometimes look at things from a transformational leadership point of view, just because of my background and whatnot. So I'm kind of looking for the language that indicates that the goal is not just to make improvements, but to fundamentally transform and grow, not just your skills, but how you show up and what is it like on the court. And I just wasn't hearing anything from him and maybe he does this all in private, but I just didn't hear anything from him that was really speaking to how Philadelphia was showing up on the court. And, you know, I said on the last podcast when Paul Jones was here, um, I said that, oh, I've got like new respect for Embiid. I think he's really grown, da, 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 da. And I just take all of that back. Like, I don't think he has at all. Um, you know, I watch him and when things get tough or, you know, he's facing adversity, he just seems to me that he has absolutely no idea how to handle it and no idea how to like go through that and come out the other side. So that to me is also a coaching problem. Like somebody coached that guy. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is aside from coaching, I got to say, I feel a little bit sorry for Joel Embiid. Like really in seven years 
I mean, granted, he didn't play the first two. I mean, what has he really been surrounded with? Um, uh, ben Simmons, who apparently is too debilitated to even sit on the, the Brooklyn bench. Well, they don't need to sit on the bench anymore, but you know where that's going. Um, and then um, James Harden, like sort of an aging, aging out star, like really, in, and then role players around him, like what really, you know, and like Doc Rivers, by all accounts, like one of my colleagues is is a ref in a city league and he's he doesn't, he's not a big fan of Doc Rivers, but I mean, the guy has a championship, same as Nick Nurse. And by all counts, when he won the championship with Boston, he used imagery and he um, he had the, the players drive the route of the championship so they could, you know, envision what it looked like to win. So, I mean, you know, that seems like a progressive leadership technique. But, you know, my friend Mike is, is not a fan of his coaching. So, um, again, like I said, he's got to have a very unsettled feeling and man, if the Raptors can win game six, whoa, like, I think all bets are off. There's going to be immense pressure coaching the players. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's hard to know, right? Like we, you and I are not actively witnessing or watching Doc Rivers do any coaching. So who really knows? I just get an impression based on what he shares in his media interviews versus what Nick shares, that there's just a, a approach difference. So, um, and I'm sure there is, uh, and I was going to say something else, but it's escaped me. So let's slander Brooklyn. Uh, they got swept. (laughs) Who, who would have predicted that? I mean, I think you did say at the beginning of the year, when we talked about, you know, who we thought was going to emerge as potential finalists I remember you saying you know something about it being a spectacle and they were either well I don't know they're either going to be great or they weren't well (laughs) I think you were probably right yeah who would have thought who would have predicted this from the beginning of the year from the beginning of the year I don't know but at the beginning like on our last podcast we said which series was most likely to go seven games and we all agreed Brooklyn and Boston and no wrong so wrong (laughs) this is sweet like what the hell yeah but uh, I mean I think in our group chat you were saying like Boston is playing just incredible defense like this they're playing good team ball and in a way Brooklyn is a collection of individuals right how much time did they really play together all year the whole Kyrie thing not being available like did they have time to coalesce is Steve Nash the coach? Really? Is he a coach? Like there's so many, I mean, this team was sort of haphazardly thrown together the super team with the expectation that they were going to win mm-hmm. kind of shades of LA, right? Shades of the Lakers, shades of the Clippers. Yeah. Well, the one thing I'm interested, like it's fun to slander Brooklyn for sure. Um, and I also wonder what this sweep, if this sweep says more about Boston than it does about Brooklyn. And, you know, could we flip this on his head? And this is actually that Boston is a fabulous team that can shut down two superstar players and win four in a row doing it. Two superstar players plus Bruce Brown, (laughs) (laughs) who was the guy that showed up in game four. I don't know. Like, you don't just shut Katie down. Like, that's, 
yeah, like I wonder, is he losing a bit of um, enthusiasm for the game? Like it's, you know, well, he's I, a generational player. So let's make fun of Goran Dragic as well. because oh, <laughs> How could we forget? Yeah. Like, well, but okay. he, he had what higher, ex- higher ambitions, right. Than playing in Toronto and really what could be higher ambitions than spending, um, uh, you know, what night was it? Sunday night? No, Monday night cleaning out his locker. Right. Probably way better than being in Toronto, I guess. I don't know. Or Philly. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one of the things he said in his post game presser or post post series interview was something along the lines of, there was always something else. Like every night there was another thing. And then that was, that was him reflecting on his time in Brooklyn, that there was just always something. And to your question, you know, could KD be tired of the game? I wonder if he's just tired of drama. I mean, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of that in Golden State, right? With Draymond Green. But not to that extent. I think Golden State was all on the same page, right? Whereas this team, like, uh, yeah. I didn't catch Goran Dragic's post-game stuff. So that's that's rather telling. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to vet whether or not players actually said this. I'm pretty sure that one was true. But there's this one account on Twitter. I think it's called Ballsack Sports. And they just make fake quotes all the time. <laughs> and then they, like, they're actually really funny. And sometimes they get spread as if they're real and people believe it there's one about James Harden right now just something about throwing his team under the bus and everyone everyone thinks it's real it's not um but it's funny that people believe that James Harden would do that so I'll have to check that out obviously it it looks credible enough that people believe it right yeah exactly exactly yeah all right well okay you've got something to say go for it Wait, are we doing game five now? Are we doing last night's game? Or what do oh, you want to sure. look at? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Dive right in. Oh, man. Like I said, I was just on a high all day about this. And those guys just played with so much composure and determination. Like it was just, it was a thing of beauty. And Pascal, he, like you said, he absolutely dictated the offense and he was a complete anchor on defense. It was pretty much a perfect game. And I don't know if you um, were able to, um, if you caught uh, Draymond Green's comments and it was kind of, I don't know, it seemed like it was kind of thinly veiled criticism of Pascal. He made a comment about, you know, some, some guys in the playoffs aren't actually the guy. Did you hear that? Uh, Yeah. I didn't think it was specifically directed at. I wondered. I thought it was directed at like the Denver Nuggets. Oh, that's what I thought it was. And Jokic maybe. Ah, uh, um, so anyway. I kind of, I kind of wondered, but I mean, Pascal was everything and they Raptors won three of the four quarters and they held Philly to 38% uh, field goal shooting, which is just incredible. Their defense was stifling and Philadelphia just really had no answer. And like you said, they looked quite tired and they, they looked like they, they lacked the willingness to, to dig down and work more than anything. And I mean, I thought if the first two games were reflective of the value of, of, of an offense that's actually humming, then games three and four and five show us what a work ethic looks like. So and we definitely won those. I mean, OG has been, I don't know, what's the word, sublime. 
Scotty, you know, despite that ankle, he's playing vastly improved team defense. And I notice he's not getting lost in the defensive rotations anymore, or he's not getting blown by on drives to the rim. And I I thought if I died last night, I would die happy. Like it was just, it was a great feeling. I I mean, I hope you're one of those Raptors fans that needs therapy. (laughs) I know. I'm thinking I'd like to live a few more decades, but man, that was, that was beautiful. And I thought it odd when um, Doc Rivers went with um, George Niang for so long, like through the third and into the fourth quarter, I guess he was probably trying to give uh, Danny Green a little bit of a break, but you know, I think when if the chips are down, I want Danny Green taking the three instead of George Niang. And um, it literally can- gets sad when George Niang fouls out because it's like I know. that sucks for the Raptors. Like I want him on the floor. <laughs> like Pascal goes at him every yeah, single time. More of that, and then he can't. Like it's like it's like a game strategy for the Raptors. Like how long before we make him foul out? Like keep him in the game longer, right? <laughs> And Danny Green, I mean, he's vastly diminished, but he can still defend. So, I, yeah, I, if and given his championship pedigree, I would put my money on Danny Green. So I was kind of perplexed by that move. Um, Thad Young, Chris Boucher, oh, my God, such hard workers. And I mean, our bench has turned from a liability into a strength. And Chris out there taking charges and just completely working his ass off and you know, we've said it before this year, he's finding his shots in the offense and he's not, you know, he's not throwing up threes indiscriminately and he's really hanging his hat on defense. Like the fact that he's taking charges, just so proud of him. And, you know, in this case, less is more. Um, And then Thad Young, his ability to see the floor, like he's really elite for a big man. He's just, genius at finding the cutter and he's kind of got some nice um chemistry going with chris right now and then we already talked about precious my god <laughs> like yeah it, it that was that was a great game that i didn't take any notes i'm just going off what i remember but oh my god it was fabulous what did you see well i saw that there that the sixers were held to 88 points <sighs> that's phenomenal um, I also saw that the Raptors, the whole series have just been absolutely cold from outside. They're shooting 32% from three. And part of me thinks to like, okay, if, if the Raptors find their three ball in great game six and game seven, now what are we going to watch? Are we going to actually like those, those could be some really interesting games. I think um, Nick nurse said that Sarah, he said, we're not shooting. Like let's have a game where we shoot. So yeah, good point. Yeah. So um you know, I saw, but another thing I saw game five was um, a real run. Like the second quarter of that game was the best quarter the Raptors have played up till that moment. They actually went on a run. We're leading by 14 at the half. I think at one point they were leading by 17. Um, but it didn't, it, it actually felt like they were running away with the game. And that was the first time that, that really happened. It's great. It's great to see this continuous game by game improvement. Sixers are going to come out so hard in Game Six. They are like if the if the Raptors can withstand the first half of whatever Philly throws at them in Game Six and give themselves a chance to to win, um, that'll be that's that's a good outcome. Philly's really going to go at them. 
Hey, can we just talk about the Philly fans for a minute? Sure. <laughs> Appalling. Like, <laughs> like, I know ticket prices are way lower in the States, but why would you pay money to go to a game and leave watching presumably your favorite team, like in the middle of the fourth quarter? Like I don't, and like boo your own team. That's where I draw the line. Like there's been a few games this year, but never in my life would I boo my own team ever. Yeah. Like, like it shameful. really does have anxiety or mental health illness right now like largely it's because of the philly fans being jerks yeah they would just like, bullied him <laughs> like why would you even want fans there if that's like that's like fickle like that i don't know yeah that's that's weird uh, yeah i agree it's definitely again it's, it's all about the approach right like ooh, we'll shame these people into playing better when has shame ever really worked as a motivator for like self-esteem and playing better like uh, anyway it's not my style i'm definitely more of the like encouragement and the, the acknowledgement and you know deal with the issues but you don't shame people what's up with that yeah the carrot not the stick yeah or if you're gonna use a stick like you know don't don't <laughs> We, you know, only Raptors fans need therapy. It shouldn't be like the fans make the players need therapy, okay? Oh. <laughs> it doesn't no. need to be abusive. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's good to... It was great to see the Raptors play so well that the Philadelphia fans had to boo their own team. Let's just spin it that way. Go Raps, go. Yeah, that was that was fabulous. And game six on Thursday night, right? Yeah. Did and game seven. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, game seven, uh, if there is one, is going to be... I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Um, see, optimist that you are, I figured you would know that off the top of no, your it's head. Gonna be, it'll be Saturday. It'll be this Saturday. Time okay. TV. All right. Yeah. So uh, book off the day. Let's see what happens. Uh, so just before we head out, I just want to shout out one of our one of our podcast fans, uh, Mike, Denny, Mike, Mike D. Um, thanks for your comment on our post the other day. It just said, thank you for the podcast. Thanks for social media vibes. I had to stop participating on Raptor message boards because of all the toxic, non-constructive posts. Uh, appreciate the good vibes hey totally get i know exactly what you're saying sometimes it'd be really hard to just go read things and like it's like you're like you're reading takes from people who don't actually like basketball that much they're just interested in screaming at each other or being right about things um definitely not the vibe we're going for here so i just want to thank you for uh acknowledging that pointing it out and for appreciating it um we're definitely all in on the good vibes on this podcast so Thanks for noticing. And in that spirit, I would like to shout out at Julie Jays, who is a unfailingly positive and kind Raptors and Blue Jays fan. And she always has something nice to say. So, and Julie is a friend. So, um, you know, we appreciate you, Julie. That's right. And to any of our other listeners, if you would like to be shouted out, you just have to say nice things about us or about other people. And then, hey, we're there. <laughs> we will definitely amplify your voice. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. Enjoy the game. 
tomorrow slash tonight, whenever you're listening and uh, hopefully enjoy game on Saturday. And in the meantime, you know the drill. Stay Raptors fans. Go Raptors go. We the North.